God's Word, uh, let me encourage you to open with me or to scroll in your phone to Matthew chapter 13. We are continuing our sermon series today in the parables of Jesus. We've been going through the parables this summer, um, stories that Jesus told, and today we arrive at the parable of the net, Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 47. Verse 47 says this, Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Today we continue with the parables of Jesus. For most of us, the parables of Jesus are well-known stories. Most Christians know them well and understand them. But for the first hearers, they were riddles so much that Matthew 13:10 says, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secret of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Jesus had been preaching a straightforward truth to the people. Jesus had been announcing the kingdom of God clearly, but the people didn't seem to understand. They weren't able to see that the kingdom of heaven and the king of heaven was there among them. Jesus said, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. But but this not seeing was not because they lacked the mental capacity to understand. This not seeing was similar to what happened to a newly married couple that went to live with their in-laws. One day, the young husband opened the bathroom door just to see his father-in-law right there on the toilet. He closed quickly and went to tell his wife, tell your dad to lock the bathroom door and told her what happened. When the wife went to tell the father what had happened, the father said, yes, I know, but it's okay, because when he opened the door, I closed my eyes. <laughs> That's the same reason why people were not able to see. They closed their eyes to understand what Jesus was clearly saying. He said, for this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, 
hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and I will heal them. The parables of Jesus were a way to conceal the truth to unbelieving crowds whose heart had been hardened to the gospel, to Jesus' words. So the usage of parables later in Jesus' ministry was the result of people's hardened heart. The usage of parables is part of God's mercy because God is going to make people responsible according to the light that they had received. That was an enormous responsibility for those who hear Jesus' words personally and did not believe or did not repent or did not obey. So Jesus hides the meaning of the message later in his ministry and begins to speak in parables, parables that people didn't understand. But most of us read the parables and we understand them. And the reason is because they had been explained to us. Have you ever played with those puzzles that you're supposed to make a square shape with different sized triangles or try to separate weird shaped hoops? It is really difficult, but once they show you how they go together, they're super simple. And that's what happened with the parables. We have been explained, they have been explained to us. That's what they seem very simple. Most of the parables of Jesus have to do with salvation or the late parables. Many of them have the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, just like today's parable that begins in Matthew 13, 47, that Pastor Drew just read. And it says, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the, on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish and baskets, but threw the bad away. I don't know if you're like me, but when I hear the kingdom of heaven, I think in heaven. But the kingdom of heaven in Jesus' preaching and in the parables is not heaven itself. It is the dominion of God where God reigns. The kingdom of heaven is also called the kingdom of God. When Jesus was accused for of driving demons by the power of Beelzebub, he said, if it is for the power of God or by the power of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. Since Jesus drove out demons by God's power, then we know that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is here and it's a present reality. It's not yet in its full expression but it is here. And in this parable, Jesus will tell us who are those who belong to the kingdom of heaven, because not all who say or believe that they are part of the kingdom are in the kingdom. This parable will tell us how the kingdom will bring those who belong to it. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into a lake and caught all kinds of fish. All those who are part of the kingdom of heaven will be inside the net, but the net is not the kingdom. The net is only how the kingdom bring those who will be in by the sweeping movement, and it will catch all kinds of fish, good fish and bad fish. To avoid, 
to avoid catching bad fish, God could have done fishing by reeling, but he decided that he would do it by net. And it's more or less how we do laundry in my house. We put everything in the basket, no sorting of colors, whites, warms, just everything goes in. But once it goes out, everything is placed in its proper drawer. And that's how it is in the kingdom. Verse 48, when it was full, the net, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. There are good fish and bad fish in the net, and they get separated. Those who are in the baskets are those who will belong to the kingdom of heaven. The net is the visible church, the church that preaches and teaches the true gospel. The people who will enjoy God's presence forever, the saved, are in the church, are part of the church, just like good fish are inside the net. Saved people are part of the present visible church. It is really difficult to believe or to conceive that someone is a real Christian if it is outside the church because the church is the body of Christ. Only those who belong to his body belong to the kingdom. The modern idea that I pray and worship by myself and I don't need the church is not biblical. But also in the net, in the church, there are many bad fish, not just because someone goes to church or is a member of the church, is placed in the baskets. What's the bad fish? In the parable, the bad fish are the ones who are pulled aside and then discarded, even though they were caught by the net. How can we distinguish the bad fish from the good fish? There are some marks of the true believer and those who are not. For example, someone who rejects or denies Christ, even if they grew up in the church, simply are not saved because there is no salvation outside Jesus Christ. However, that person might come back to real faith later, and in the process of coming back, especially if there is not a clean cut with a sinful lifestyle, it would be really difficult to know where that person stands, if he is saved or if he is not. We can encourage him, we can warn him, we can pray for him, we can pray with him, but the final task to know who is good and bad fish is not given to us. Verse 49, this is how it will, it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. The angels are the ones given this final task, but something is clear. The good fish are the right, righteous, the bad fish are the wicked. While we cannot know for certain who is a true believer, the parable is a warning that there will be fish discarded, thrown out. How can I know if I am part of the fish in the basket or not? We need to know because eternal life depends on it. The bad fish will be, and I read, thrown into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you don't want to be overconfident, 
about something unless you are completely certain. I was sold a car in Mexico, my first car. The person showed me the documents, including the emissions test. The emissions test in Mexico City is really important that they give you a sticker this size that you have to put in your window because if you don't have it, that would be a big fine. The person who sold me the car said, here are all the documents and I don't have the sticker, but I have this letter that says that I passed the test. I look at it, look pretty legit, never heard about it, but I trust the guy, even had a seal. So I put it with my documents. The police stopped me and they told me because you don't have the sticker. I wasn't worried because I had the letter. So I showed him all my documents and the letter. And when he saw the letter, I realized that it was as fake as a $3 bill. They took my car away. Actually, they didn't pound it. Even though I thought I was okay. Knowing that you belong to the kingdom is more important than an old beetle. That's the reason why the Apostle Paul invited us to examine ourselves. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? And this is what I want to do this morning. It's an invitation to examine ourselves. Many people believe that they have eternal life because they pray the sinner's prayer, because they accepted Jesus in their hearts, or because they are baptized. And of course, these things are part of being saved, but if they have no real commitment, or they have no relationship with God, or are living in disobedience, are not walk, walking according to his will, they might not be saved. If their lives are marked by sinful attitudes such as grumbling, complaining, resentment, gossip, envy, greed, unkindness, that could be a sign that they will be thrown out as the bad fish in the parable. Why do I, do I say that? Listen to what the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. If you are living in sin, you might not be saved. And I'm not talking about big sins. This list includes greeters and slanderers. And this is not an exhaustive list. Galatians 5 is another list that is a warning for us to examine ourselves. And it reads, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not, will not inherit the kingdom of God.
Making a prayer without change, without commitment, or without love to the Savior, a love and gratitude that leads to a life that pleases Christ, might be a, foul, a false profession of faith, or dead faith, as the Apostle James calls it. What good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? And then he responds, Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. And while it is true that we are safe only by faith, only by believing, real faith always produces good works. Ephesians 2, verse 8 tells us, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Verse 9 not by works, so that no one can boast. Salvation is clearly by faith and only by faith, by faith alone. Not works are required, as it is stated in verse 9 of Ephesians 2. But do you know what's the next verse? I know, verse 10, but it reads, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So good works, good works cannot save us, but good, good works are always the result of faith. And the good works that the Bible talks about is forgiving others, forgiving those who offend us, being kind to those who are against us, being honest, not gossiping, those are the type of good works for which God created us and made us new people, to live in a way to honor him. True faith has to bring transformation because true faith transformed dead people into living people, people who were slaves to sin, to people who enjoy God's freedom to do good. But the kind of faith that says, I believe in Jesus, but has no substance, is dead. That kind of faith cannot save. So the invitation is to examine ourselves, what kind of faith do I have? What kind of faith do I profess? And it is true that sometimes real believers act as if we are not. We all have bad attitudes. We all sometimes have the wrong behavior. And that does not reflect the new creature that God has made. We all are sinners, and no one of us is perfect. But true faith always brings repentance, and it has in itself the desire to strive to please God. That's what the Apostle Paul tells the believers in Rome. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we have focused on the things that serve as a warning that we might be disqualified, but there are also signs that we can know that we'll be in the baskets. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4, be completely humble, gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So unity, love, bearing with one another, those are the signs of true faith. 
What makes a good fish? Are good moral people good fish? And the answer is no. What makes a good fish is the gospel. Remember that the parable says that the good fish are the righteous. Paul says in Philippians 3, 9, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that righteousness which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness of the saved, it is found in Christ. It is not our personal righteousness. The good fish are those who have been saved, that have been saved through the good news of the gospel. So being that the case, it is really important to know what is the gospel. And the gospel is the good news of God about his son. But before I talk more about the true gospel, it is important to notice that so many times the gospel has been distorted. And that's the warning of the Apostle Paul to the Galatians when he says, I am astonished that you are quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. In the case of the Galatians, the gospel had been distorted and turned into religiosity, the fulfilling of commandments. It was, it was distorted to be good works based, the keeping of rules. But moralism and religiosity cannot save us. The message of the church is not be good. The message of the church should not be come to Jesus to be good, to be nice, to have a nice family, to have a good marriage, to have good children. The message of the church should be the gospel. It is about God's son, Jesus Christ, who came to save sinners, to offer forgiveness to the guilty and condemn. The gospel is about the person of Jesus Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul says. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The gospel is about knowing him. Another perversion of the gospel is the prosperity gospel that focuses on, on God wanting you to be wealthy, healthy, and handsome. No, not the last one, because it would be really hard to pull it just to declare it and claim it. But just to clarify, living according to God's will will bring blessings to our families, our marriage, the well-being of our children. Living according to God's will, of course, will benefit us economically because being prudent, living wisely, and making sound financial and moral decisions will be good for us. And all that is good, but is secondary. And of course, God can heal us. And of course, God can bless the work of our hands. All that is good, but is secondary. Besides, God is not obligated to make us happy, wealthy, or handsome. If he wants to bless us, he will. But for some circumstances, many times, that will not happen. The message of the gospel always implies a call to repentance 
from our sins to receiving God's grace and his righteousness. That's what Paul says, to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So we should never forget that the reason that we are here is because our Savior gave, gave himself up for us, shed his blood, that I, the guilty sinner, may be forgiven. That, we, that all we do, pray, sing, give, worship, is because we are thankful that he, have, that he has adopted us into his family, that we have been raised from dead to life, that he has cleansed us, that now we can have communion with him and with all those who have been bought by his blood, that we are here to worship a recent Christ who owns us, who owns our lives and deserves our devotion. Other people believe that they are saved because they had a religious experience. They felt the spirit in the songs or had some other spiritual experience. While those things could be good, they are not a guarantee by themselves that we belong to God and that we will be placed in the baskets. The only way is by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ, Galatians 2.16. When we recognize that we are sinners and believe that he is our only hope and that lead us to accept his sacrifice, for us and his forgiveness, that's what saves us. That's why a believer needs to be a grateful person, a person who's eager to live for Christ, someone who wants to please him. That's why the Apostle Paul says that I may live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The, live, the life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and saved and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. But reality is that in our Christian life, sometimes we get discouraged and sometimes we don't live according to God's calling. But even in those low times, we have to remember that we have to live for him because that's the appropriate response for he died for us. If we can be saved by good works, by being good, or for having a religious experience, Christ died for nothing. That's what Paul says in Galatians 2.22. Why should Christ die if I can gain my own salvation? But because we can, the good news of the gospel are about his son, that he is God himself, that God became a man, that he lived among us a perfect life, that he died as a substitute in your place and mine, that we can live. We receive this gift when we believe, when we trust in him, when we die to ourselves, when we commit to follow him, when we make him our Lord, our masters, when we recognize that he is God and King. That's what it means to have faith in him. 
Do you think that the gospel demands too much? If you do, you understand the gospel. And that's the reason why people closed their eyes to see. Jesus knew that people did it knowingly because he said, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I will heal them. Only God supernaturally can transform our lives. Only he can make good fish out of bad ones. These words are good news because otherwise we will be thrown out. This is how the parable ends. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The truth is that many parables, especially the late parables of Jesus, are judgments on themselves, difficult things to hear. Today, you can close your eyes, your ears, harden your heart, and not understand. But the price is too high. I hope that you can respond as the disciples did. Verse 51. Have you understood all these things, Jesus asked? Yes, they reply. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our place. Thank you that you throw a net that can catch good and bad fish, that we have opportunity to hear the gospel and respond to it. Lord, we just pray that we can have ears of faith and respond to your calling. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.